Hey, this is Quentin Moore, and I'm the pastor of the Father's House, and this is our podcast. Thanks for joining us today. I hope the message inspires you, gives you faith, and lets you see that God is truly moving in your life. We hope you enjoy today's message. You got a Bible? Back early in the year, actually before the year started, the Lord spoke to me out of uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, and spoke to me that your eyes would be open and you'd know the hope of His calling, the riches of His glory, and the exceeding greatness of His power. Say, great power. And I've been endeavoring to follow Him so that the greatness of His power would be revealed in your life. That's why I spent six weeks talking about Spirit-filled living. I think there's been too much shrinking back from the reality of being a Spirit-filled person. I'm I'm moving into a season right here where I think it's interesting that so many people don't even understand the foundations of the faith. What are the bedrock of the faith? Well, you know that story, right? He who builds his house on the rock, the wind will come, but it'll not be shaken. He who builds, you know that story we tell our children. Our faith needs to be built on the bedrock. What is the foundation? What's what's the cornerstone of our faith? What are those things that hold the foundation of our faith together? The very first sermon I ever preached in Hutchinson, Kansas came out of Isaiah or Psalm chapter 11, verse 3. If the foundations be destroyed, what will the righteous do? Great question. If the foundations be destroyed, what will the righteous do? I love the message translation. It says, if the bottom falls out, what will you do? I I want to title this series, The Bottom Has Fallen Out. Maybe even shorten it down. Your bottom, never mind. But I see a lot of people that when foundations are not there, they don't know what they are. They don't understand what it is they're supposed to be passing on to their children, that they don't understand what is holding them up. And when you have no foundations or those foundations have not been firmly laid in your life, then when storms and trials come, then it's shaky. What are the righteous to do when the foundations are destroyed? Or what do they do when they come shaky? I can remember being very young, being placed in a catechism class, and they laid down the foundations of the faith. The Hebrew writer says repentance from dead works, faith towards God, uh, water baptism, the laying on of hands, eternal judgment, resurrection from the dead. These are the foundations of the faith. And do we have them deeply set in these children so that as they face the latter part of the 21st century, which we cannot even imagine. But whatever they face, their foundations are rock solid. Whatever they face, they're able to face them knowing that that foundation will hold and their house will not be moved. I want to suggest to you this morning that the number one foundation that you have to resolve is this reality. Jesus is alive. Jesus is not a myth. Jesus is not a history story. Jesus is here. Jesus rose from the dead, and He lives on the inside of you today. He's not a doctrine to be studied. He's not a Bible school to go to. He is a real, live, breathing person, and He lives in your heart. He's not the figment of anybody's imagination. Jesus is alive. Say it with me. Jesus is alive. And say with me, I am one in whom He lives. Jesus lives in you. Irregardless of what theologians or your feelings tell you, Christ has risen from the dead. And the kingdom that he came and said was at hand is now on the inside of you. The kingdom of God, the potential of God's kingdom lives and reigns in the middle of your life. 
The Bible says that Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the very first rock that is placed. He's the rock where water flowed out of the, when they were in the desert. You must have Jesus as the foundation of everything you do. Paul writes to Timothy and he says, preach the word. Be in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they will have itching ears. Have you noticed how many things are just going, people just want to hear garbage. They just want, they don't want to just hear the basics. They don't want to hear foundations. But let me tell you something. The foundations of a house have to be secure if you're going to be able to do anything in life. And then he tells Timothy, do the work of an evangelist and thus fulfill the call of God on your life. The work of an evangelist. The work of being able to share the news that Jesus is Lord. The ability to share that in your life does not come because you go to Bible school and you can argue with whomever. The ability to share the Lord is that there's something in your eyes. There's something in your talk. There's something in the way you live with your family. There's something in the way that you handle your money. There's something in the way that you love your spouse. There's something in the way that you deal with the enemy. There's something in the way that you deal when you get hurt, that you are different, set apart. See, evangelization is not a plan of going door to door. Evangelization is about living in the midst of a world that is going to hell and showing them how to live differently because Christ is alive on the inside of you. Most people are trying to find how to do evangelism. I'm trying to say, how do I get you fully evangelized? How do I get you fully redeemed, fully restored, fully renewed? How does the reality of Christ's resurrection rest in your life in such a way that the resistance of the Holy Spirit helps you to resist the things in this world? In other words, you have to be experiencing the resurrected Christ every day of your life. I have to be experiencing the fact that He's here. I can't just know it in my head. John writes, he said, we handled him, we touched him, we tasted him, we, we, we saw him. And because we did, we're now sharing that with you. A- and you have to understand that if you've been in an intimate relationship, listen, I know Annie. You don't. She knows me. You don't. You know the thing you think I am. You know the thing she thinks that you think she is. But we've been intimate with one another in such a way that we've t- it's rubbed off. I end up saying things today and think that, that's, what she, that's how she talks. I think we grow more and more, I think we look more and more alike every year. We, I'm really serious. It, it, it's like the two are really becoming one. It's like God intended those two to become one. You see, if, you, if you're ever in a marriage for long, you begin to realize you take upon the traits of the one you're with. You, you'll begin to, and if you want to know who Annie is, come and ask me, I'll tell you. That's why I get real nervous when people start talking about other people because I want to look at them and say, you don't know them. You have no idea who they are. You don't know them. All you know is what somebody told you. What you might know is a little bit about their behavior. You may be able to describe their behavior, but you see God looks on the inside, not on the outside. You can't take their behavior and determine who they are because no one knows the heart of a man except the Lord himself. So you got to be careful. But evangelization comes because you've been with Jesus so much that you begin to look like. I mean, think about it. Moses stood in the glory of God, and he began to radiate that glory. And the Bible says that that was, that was even lesser glory. We have the opportunity to intimately be with Christ in such a way that we begin to reflect who he is in the world. We have personally all evangelists every time we go to Dylan's. 
every time they don't give us those double coupons, and we just know those double coupons belong to us. I stood behind one of the people that worship here, and they were arguing, and you're going to figure out who I'm talking about. They were arguing with this little girl because they didn't get double coupons, and after all, this was double-double coupon day, and they needed to get four times what the coupon they had, and they just got really, they want to talk to the manager that didn't get their double coupons, which added up to about a dollar and 15 cents. By the time I got done, I just handed them the dollar and 15 cents and said, are you happy? In other words, our entire life is a reflection of the Lord that we believe lives on the inside of us. To understand that His resurrection from the dead is what gives me hope and gives me joy. Isaiah said, in the year of the Lord I saw King Uzziah and he died. And then I saw the Lord high and lifted up. What has to die in your life for you to see glory? What has to be removed in your life so that you can begin to see the glory of God? Can I tell you, what do the righteous do when the foundations are shaken? Listen, God will not allow anybody to take his place in your life. And when anything begins to get so high in your life that you're willing to fight for it, I promise you God's about to pull that down so that you can see the real glory of the Lord. People have told me all my life, I want to see the glory of the Lord, and I want to say, kill Uzziah. Who is Uzziah? Man, in the last 10 years, I can tell you, we've had a couple of them. We've had a couple of people that certain people would elevate. They'd elevate this one, and he was up here. And then he would go, would elevate another one. Can I tell you, when you get that king out of your eyes, then you can see the glory of God. Because only when Jesus is Lord... Nothing and no one else. Only then can we see the glory of God fill the earth. I love what Isaiah says on down in verse 6 or 7. He goes, I'm ruined. Woe is me. I'm just ruined. Listen, if you ever have really good Kansas beef, you will not go to Florida and order anything. Listen, if you ever taste Martha's pecan pie, you're done. If you ever ate my grandma's strawberry jelly, you're, mm-mm. I get tickled up. People come and start talking to me about banana pudding. Get back. <laughs> Only Grandma Jesse made banana pudding. Nobody else can even touch it. They can't even come close and don't send none to me. You ever been just ruined because you had something so good that nothing else could compare? Let me tell you something. As a child, I met Jesus Christ on my knees, and there's nothing else that compares. If you ever come in contact with the Lord, you won't be repeating, don't do, do this, because the law never brought me to Him, but His grace, His grace that came into my life in such a way that the foundation of my faith is built on the reality that Christ is Lord. Why did those women follow him to the tomb where he was killed? Why did they get up in the morning and risk their own lives? I'll tell you why. Because he set them free of demons and healed their bodies and lifted them up and placed them on solid rock. Did I tell you my joke? You know the story where they bring the woman that throw her at the feet of Jesus. Yeah. And Jesus said, if you have no sin, you know, go ahead. And they all backed away. And about that time, this great big stone starts rolling down the hill. Bam! Just crushes that woman. And Jesus goes, Mom! He who is without sin. Her name was, never mind. If I have to explain it to you, it doesn't do you any good. Why did they get up 
and go where men would not go because they had met him. They knew him. They knew him as he said, Father, forgive them. They knew him as he blessed those that were taking his life. They knew him in such a way that they went to the last place he was and they met the angels and the angels said, he ain't here, he's alive. And the Bible says, with great fear and yet with great joy. If you're ever in the presence of God, can I tell you, you're going to have two emotions at the same time. Every time I have felt the Holy Spirit, my insides are shaken. Because can I tell you something? He could blow his nose and destroy the world. You're afraid. When you're in the presence of God, you know you're there because of grace. When you're in the presence of God, you're not there because you're qualified or you didn't do anything. You're there because he loves you unconditionally. And then you have great joy. To be in the presence of God is both scary and exciting at the same time. And they said in response to that, they ran to tell the others. Listen, we need to be in the presence of God to the degree that it makes us afraid. And at the same time produces joy in our lives. That reality will create in us something that will change us to the point that other people will begin. I'm telling you, I think it was in their eyes. If you're filled with fear, reverence, and joy, your eyes changed. If you don't believe it, have a four-year-old walk into the living room with presents under a tree. Their eyes change. If you've never, oh, come on, guys. I stood at the front of that church when she turned that corner and I saw that dress. My eyes changed. You see, eyes are a window into the soul. Look him in the eye and you know. You can tell when someone knows Jesus because it's in their eyes. You can tell when someone hates because it's in their eyes. You can tell when someone criticizes or despises because they're in Listen, if you ever meet Christ, it'll touch you, and all of a sudden, you'll see the world different. Once Christ came into my life, can I tell you, the way I saw other people changed. We know no one according to the flesh, not even Christ. We know him thus no longer. If you ever encounter the grace of God in its purest form, you'll never be able to judge another human being. You'll never be able to declare that human being less than you. Why? Because you'll know. You'll know that had not been for the grace of God, you wouldn't even be able to breathe. See, Jesus being the Lord of our life is the very foundation of what it means to have faith in God. Mary stood at that tomb and he spoke to her and it says she recognized. The two men on the road to Emmaus, they walked with him and debated with him and he sat down and he broke the bread and it says their eyes were open and they recognized they had fished all night on the lake of Galilee and had caught nothing. The Lord made breakfast and they looked up and John said, it is the Lord. It's funny to me how we come to those moments in our life where we have no ability to go any further. Those two were without hope. Those women were in mourning and the guys had worked all night. They were tired. Don't you know that when we get our weakest, there he is. When we come to the end of our rope, there he is. He'll wait till we can do no more. And then the Lord Almighty will show up and say, look what I can do when you are weak and I am strong. God is seen most definitely in those moments when we think he's far away. Christ is risen. Christ is alive. 
Christ is with you right now. Can I tell you, the Big Bang Theory, listen, the Big Bang wasn't billions of years ago. The Big Bang was 2,000 years ago on the morning of resurrection when Jesus Christ stepped out of that tomb, when He defeated death, hell, the grave, and shame. That changed everything. The world became new. We have yet to understand that Christ as Lord, the resurrected one, alters everything. And the pull of the world, trying to pull you back into the old, is strong. But my foundation is Jesus, the resurrected one. The one that says, don't you give any regard to the flesh, but you lean into the spirit of the living God. The one who Paul writes and says, Christ is the end of the law. Say with me, end. You ever watch a movie? You know how it's over? They say, the end. He hung on the cross and he said, the law could not do. Your rules, your regulations, you're determining who's in, who's out, who's up, who's down. That's over. The church has yet to realize that it's over. We still dink around with who's right, who's wrong, who's in, who's at, who's bad, who's ugly, who's evil. But the Bible, say Bible. If you got one, hold it up. Say, I believe the Bible. Then you need to go look this up. It's in Romans chapter 8. Christ is the end of the law. He's end of the performance. He's the end of that. Christ came and fulfilled the law and gave you the score. Christ did what you could not do so that you could enjoy what you could never obtain on your own. And then he goes on to say, the word is nigh thee, it's in your mouth. For if you believe that Jesus is Lord in your heart and you confess it with your mouth, you shall be. How many believe that? You believe that Jesus is Lord and you've said it with your mouth. And you are, the word saved means whole, brand new. How many of you have ever said by his stripes I'm healed? And your foot still hurt. How many of you ever... I have, listen, I'm healed this morning. My shoulder doesn't feel too good. It doesn't change the fact that by His stripes, I am healed. The Bible says to call those things that be not as though they were. The Bible says when you pray, believe you receive whatever you pray for. So when you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth and you are saved, you may not feel any different, look any different, but you are. Anybody believe that? Could I get more hands than two? Uh, could I get, a, could I get a, a, a full, I believe that, right? Say, I believe that. If you're going to believe Jesus is Lord, you've got to believe that by the power of your words, you are what you say. I'm saved. Jesus is the Lord of my life. Right? <laughs> and look at your neighbor. If they got their hand up, then you never get to doubt their confession because you don't like the way they act. Let that sink in a minute. Listen, I know all kinds of people that you won't like because they don't agree with you on a number of things. They're Christians. Why? Because I've heard them say, Jesus is Lord. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the power of the Holy Spirit. So they can be a different color. They can be a different gender. They can even be a different party member. See, you're with me up till there. And then it's like, Say with me, they believe in their heart, they confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. Say it again, Jesus is 
Lord. He rules, he reigns, he has dominion. He fulfills all of his promises in your life and no weapon formed against you can stand or prosper. Great will be the peace of your children. Whatever you set your hands to will prosper and you will speak my word and it will not return void until it accomplishes whereunto it is sent because I have saved you. Okay. Look at your name and say, I am, I am. Saved. saved. I am born again. The scripture said, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. He said, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will not be put to shame. Then woe be it to anyone who tries to put shame on a believer. You don't want to be caught putting shame on a believer. Because if you're trying to shame somebody else, it's you that might be in trouble. Because he said, I will not allow my children to be shamed. Hmm. The Bible goes on to say, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, say, Lord, Lord. Jesus Christ, I'm calling on you. Have you ever been in a situation that you just need to call on the Lord? Because all the fertilizer was hitting the fan. You ever been in one of those situations where a fertilizer was hitting the fan? And all you could do is go, Jesus! He said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, if I can call on the name of the Lord to be redeemed and go to heaven, then I can call on the name of the Lord when the fertilizer hits the fan. And we've had fertilizer hit the fan this week. Jesus. See, we forget the foundation of our faith. And when you forget the foundation of your faith, you're close to a defeat. But if you can remember this reality, that God will put him in your heart so that in spite of the depression, the disappointment, and the strut that's in your life, you can stand at the tomb and hear Jesus is alive. You can sit in in that little city down there and hear Jesus is alive. You can be in a boat and see that Jesus is alive. The ability to know that Jesus is Lord in the middle of the fertilizer hitting the fan. If you have the ability to declare Jesus is Lord in whatever tribulation you're in, that foundation raised my children. There's going to be stuff you face out there. I can't even anticipate what you face. But when you get out there, I want you to remember that Jesus is with you. When you get out there, I want you to remember that Jesus is Lord and he'll never forsake you. When you get out there and you mess up your life because you just are human, I want you to remember that God never turns his back on you. He'll put his chair right in front of you again. I'm not telling them don't do this and don't do that. I'm telling them that God is with them no matter what they do or what they don't because that's the message of the gospel and the church needs to get Jesus is Lord even over unbelievers. They may not believe it yet, but he's still Lord. Nothing is outside of his purview. Nothing is beyond his reach. See, we need scales to fall from our eyes that we might see the Christ high and lifted up. May the eyes of our understanding be opened that we might know the hope of his calling that we might see the riches of his inheritance and that we might be filled with the exceeding greatness of the power that raised him from the dead. You see, today we have to recover the simple little reality, Jesus is Lord. Not whomever, not whatever, not me. For over 40 years I have prayed nearly every day that Jesus is the Lord over Annie, not me.
that Jesus is the one that directs and guides, that Jesus is the one that controls, that Jesus is the one over her life, not me. There is still a segment of the body of the Christian church that believes that the husband lords over women. Repent, I say, repent. Because Jesus is Lord over the Gentile and the Jew. He's over the male and the female. Jesus is Lord over every area of our lives, over every human being of our lives. And can I tell you something? He doesn't share that with you. He doesn't even ask your advice. Listen, when you're praying, you're not advising him. I've listened to some of you pray. And you're telling him how to answer your prayer. He does not need your advice. I simply learned a long time ago, God, this is my problem. And you have said. And so, I don't even have to fix it. And I don't have to advise him. It's an amazing setup. All I got to do is say, help. Jesus, this one whom you crucified, is both Lord and Christ. And God has raised him from the dead. And Paul will write to the Philippians and say, every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. From the very beginning of the church, from the very beginning of our faith, we have to understand that Jesus is Lord. The psalmist in Psalm 91, one of my favorite psalms, in Psalm 91, verse 1, it says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say of the... Who? I will say of the who? Who is Lord? Jesus. I will say of the Lord, who is Jesus, He is my refuge. He is my fortress. He is my God in whom I trust. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall dwell under the shadow of the Almighty. And he will say of the Lord Jesus Christ, He is my refuge. He is my fortress. He is my God in whom I will trust. My trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not in what I can do or you can do or anybody else can do. My trust is solely, completely, that's the foundation of my faith. It's the cornerstone. If you don't stay built on that cornerstone, it is sinking sand. I'm here to remind you the next few weeks what the cornerstone, what the foundations of our faith are. Don't allow the world to remove you off of that stone. Say it out loud. Jesus is Lord. The ninth verse of the same psalm says, because thou hast made the Lord. Say, he made the Lord. Thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even my most high, thy habitation. Say with me, I live in the Lord. I live and move and have my being in him. And he lives and moves and has his being in me. And because thou hast made him the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, my habitation, there no evil shall befall me. Did you hear me? If you're in the Lord and the Lord's in you, If he is your fortress and your refuge and your high tower and your God, then no evil can befall you. Well, then what are we doing trying to point out evil? What are we doing trying to figure out, well, that's evil. That's bad. That's a waste of time. Because I've already been told. If I live in him 
and he lives in me, I will soon walk on evil. Can I tell you something? We're wasting a heck of a lot of energy trying to figure out who's bad, who's right, who's wrong, what's good, and what's evil. When we already are living in the secret place of the Most High. You know what happens? The minute you run out of that secret place to point out somebody else's wrong, you are out of covering. The minute you begin to judge others, you yourself will be judged. What the church is doing is running in and out. They're running in and out because they're picking up what only he can do, which is determine. Say it with me. I will never regard anyone according to the flesh. I will simply call them the righteousness of God. Wow. We want revival? We got to get this. Say with me. He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him will I trust. I will live in Him. I will dwell in Him. Wow. That's born again. That's living in the midst of the Holy Spirit and knowing that I can live and move in Him and the things around me, though they come nigh, they'll fall at my feet. A thousand on my left, ten thousand on my right. See, the most important presence here this morning is Jesus. Jesus is fully present. He's fully present to you this morning. He's not distracted by anything. He is focused on you, every one of you. He is present to you. The real question is, are we present to him? Are we just kind of suffering through pastor's sermon so that we can get home and watch this? Never mind. But just to stop right now, close your eyes. He said, if two or three are gathered together, there I am. Say with me, I'm a believer that Jesus is Lord and that he's here. Wherever that ache and that pain is, wherever that depression is, wherever that fear is, he's touching it. He's lifting it. He's overcoming it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Kibroko sandaramasata. This is church. This is what we're supposed to be doing. Making an atmosphere for the presence of God. Creating a place where we forgive others. Where we stop judging others. We just plead the blood. My grandmother used to plead the blood. When she'd see something she didn't like, she'd just plead the blood. You feel the grace of God come. And it's in this place that God can heal. God can move. He can't do it if we're in disunity. He can't do it if we're all caught up about who's right and who's wrong. We hinder the flow of the Spirit when we step out from under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. This is the place that God longs for the church to be. I'm not ashamed of this gospel of grace. I'm not ashamed that Jesus is Lord. I'm not ashamed that he's asked me to lay down my opinions of other people. I'm not ashamed that he said to me, it's not my place. I am honored to be able to stand here and say the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, his grace upon all is the power of God. That's the power. That when they took and nailed him to a cross, put thorns on his head, spikes in his hands, stuck him with a sword, 
He did not judge their behavior. He did not call them evil. He did not say they were on the wrong side of an issue. He said, I forgive them. That is the voice of the church. That is the power of God unto salvation. That ability to be wounded and yet forgiven. That's the power of God. That's when Jesus is Lord. That will change your home, your marriage, our country, is if we would go back on the foundation that only Christ is Lord. Amen. That's what we share with our children. You remember that little verse, I stand at the door, Rome, stand at the door and I knock. I, I really truly believe this all my heart. I, I think Jesus is in every one of you who believes. I do think he's wanting in rooms that you've kept locked. I do think he wants out of the closet. No pun there. I think he wants out of that room that you tuck him in. I think he wants to live in every room of your house. In fact, I think he wants you to open the front door because you've kept him so housebound. It's kind of like the cat you don't want to get out, right? And you, you, God not only wants to live in you, he wants you to let him out. He wants the world to see that he lives in you and that you release him into the world through your kindness and your gentleness and your goodness, through your grace and through your life. That'll change, Hutch. First thing it'll do is it change churches because it always starts in churches. Let him out. Let that grace and that gospel, there's more and more room. The Bible says they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That those that knew that Jesus is Lord devoted themselves to apostolic teaching, not to the opinions of interpreters that have come down for the last 2,000 years. Because the apostles only ever taught the foundations. They never taught anything other than a few of the foundational principles. We're going to move on and talk about repentance from dead works. We're going to move on and talk about faith towards God, about water baptism, about how to lay hands on, about eternal judgment, and about the resurrection of the dead. Those few foundational truths will empower your children to live beyond you and face whatever they face. We have to set those foundations deeply in our lives so that we're able to move into the next generation. They devoted themselves to apostolic teaching, not to the interpretation or the opinions of people that want to interpret. There is a foundation that was set when Christ was here that was perpetuated by that initial teaching. And there's nothing new under the sun. That has never changed, ever. It won't change because the culture changes. It won't change because the king changes. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. They devoted themselves to fellowship. Look at your neighbor, someone around you, and say, we ought to be friends. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Why? Because in the breaking of the bread, the eyes of those in Emmaus were open. In the breaking of the bread, we remember the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And prayer. And prayer. Say, and prayer. Hallelujah. Therein, not the latte you pick up in the foyer. 
Therein, not the vision that you cast. Therein, not the building that you build. Therein is the power of God. Three little things I want to leave with you this morning. Jesus is Lord will make you tear down the divisions that rise up in your soul. Lord, may they be one that the world would know that I am Lord. Let them love one another, for by this the world will know. Anything that causes a division is not of God. Where there is unity in the brethren, there the anointing of God comes down. Paul simply says, let there be no divisions among you. Well, pastor, how can that be? Because we stay focused on the foundations. We stay focused on the core common beliefs. I believe that God sent his son, that he died on a cross, that he rose on a third day. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father. He sent the Spirit into our lives, and someday he's going to come back. If we believe that, honey, I'm, I'm one with you, you're one with me. And I really don't have the patience to have any other conversation, because I really don't care. Stand on one foot, speak in other tongues underwater, I'm in. Stand on both feet and recite uh, the Apostles' Creed, I'm in. Have wine for communion, have grape juice for communion, have a cup, do a whole thing. I don't care, sprinkle, baptize with a lot of water, I don't care. Sing off the wall, play the organ, I don't care. Vote that way, vote that way, I don't care. Listen to me, all that matters is Jesus is Lord. Because can I tell you something? The minute you get to heaven, half, more than half, of what you think you were doing down here, you'll have to go, oh, oh, I missed God. <laughs> I'm telling you, the first thing I'm going to do when I get to heaven is change my theology. Because what I've taken so much pride in down here, I probably won't get to take any pride in up there. In other words, look at your neighbor and laugh. <laughs> what you're all stressed out about is really not that big a deal. Maybe go home and get in front of the mirror and laugh at yourself. You're not so suchy much. <laughs> I had a guy preaching one Sunday. He said, Pastor, you ain't no whiz-bang-ding thing. And I thought, well, you ain't much either. <laughs> we remain friends. Unity. Work for unity. Number two, give hope. I didn't say be optimistic. I said give hope. You know what, you know what gives hope? Grace. If I have to hope in what I can do or not do, I already know I've lost. But if my hope is anchored firmly in the grace and the unconditional mercy of God, I have hope in the final outcome. Number three, give them joy. Look at your face and have some joy for God's sake. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Restore the joy of my salvation. Listen, if they have more joy when you leave than when you're there, something's wrong. <laughs> They're supposed to be joyful when you're in their presence, not because you finally left the table. How <laughs> much sometimes I do happy dances when they walk away. You, 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 come on, you got that, you, right? They visited you too, I know. You know, it's like, oh, Lord. I've learned something about that. If I start dancing while they're there, they leave sooner. 
<laughs> if you start being positive in the face of a negative person, they don't know what to do. <laughs> it um, shakes. It, it, I have people walk up to me all the time and say, well, you know, they're always just doing this. I said, well, y- you could contradict them. Well, 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 I don't want them to think bad about me. I said, okay, just feel bad. The best way to take negativity out of the room is say something positive. Oh, you're, you want an end an argument with your wife? Compliment her. Women can't, they melt in the face of a compliment. I'm telling you, it don't matter whether they're 18 or 58. If you tell her she's pretty, the argument is over. <laughs> tell him he's still as handsome as he was the day. Yeah. He'll melt. Work for unity. Give real hope on the basis of grace. And number three, find ways to create joy in the lives of other people. If you do that, you're an evangelist. If you do that, you release the reality of the presence of Jesus Christ in the lives of the people around you. If you do that, division will be destroyed. Unity will be recovered. And people will be able to find the grace of God in the midst of all that joy that you'll be walking in. Hallelujah. I got so much more, but I'll save it. Look at your neighbor and say, I know that your confession is true. Here's what most people need. They need me to affirm their confession of salvation. They're they're waiting on me to go, I believe that. I believe that. You know what the church has been wasting most of its time on the last couple hundred years? Well, I love... I love, I love the sinner, but I hate the sin. You know what you just said? You just said they weren't good enough. That is silly. That's an old thing that got placed within the Armenian realities of God, and we need to take it out. We simply need to say, I believe your confession. Jesus is the Lord of your life. And shut up. When you begin to affirm people's confession of Christ, their behaviors will take care of themselves. You just have to begin to believe that they believe. Add your faith to theirs and watch what happens. I'm your pastor. I'm telling you, I could write a long, I could write a book. It probably wouldn't, I keep, Annie, hmm. She said, no, we ain't selling it. We're using it as a bribe. <laughs> Quentin's going to release his book unless you send uh, <laughs> Listen to me. Our job is to forgive sinners, is to believe their confession, and to watch the power of God rule in their life. Just go do that. That's the foundation of our faith. Father, I pray this morning that if there's someone in this room that has never believed that Jesus is Lord. They never believed that he loved them. I'm asking you this morning to touch their heart. I'm asking you this morning to speak inside of them. I'm asking this morning that they would confess you as Lord. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. No one's looking around. If you believe that Jesus died and rose again for you, All you have to do this morning is say, Jesus is Lord. The Bible says you're saved. 
Now, Father, I pray that you fill them with your Holy Spirit this morning. I pray that the overwhelming presence of the Spirit of God would move into their hearts and in their lives. I pray that in the next few days, they'd recognize the change that's taking place in their life. In Jesus' name. It's right there. Could we just pray for a moment for the people in this room? In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, I hope the message truly inspired you today. If it did, do a couple things for me. Subscribe to our show and it'll just drop right into your feed and you can stay current with all that we're doing. The second thing is, is if you've been impacted by this ministry, you can click the link right there in front of you and you can become one of our givers. And that'll help us to keep spreading the gospel and the good news around the world. Everyone needs to hear the good news right now, maybe more than any other time. So God bless and I'll see you next time.